All right. So this series is about packing your bags. It's, it's about this idea that we're all in the midst of some kind of transition or new season. You may be in one or just maybe stepping into one. Uh, for some of us, if you have your kids starting school for the very first time, that's a different, different transition for you, and you're kind of working through that. But for all of us, we, we all kind of come into new seasons of our life. And as we said last week, we're, we're always kind of a rush about it, aren't we? We, we, we? we get somewhere, and then our next thought is, okay, where am I going? What's next? What's next? Who, who, where am I going? <clears throat> and as we kind of thought through the challenges that brings for us, we set out from the very beginning of this series to, to kind of tackle this idea of what it looks like when you face these new, these new challenges, these new transitions, and is there a way to prepare for it? So as we talked about last week, here's how we're going to tackle this series. How to prepare, <clears throat> that's my little girl, how to prepare to get to where you've got to go from where you currently are that you've just got to from where you recently were. And that's a little bit of a mouthful to essentially say this. We all were somewhere, we stepped into something, and we're about to set, step into something new, but the interesting thing about us is we tend to forget where we came from, don't we? We don't even remember how we got to where we are. For some of us, we can even see this next transition on the horizon. Maybe it's exciting, like a new job, a new career. I talked to a lady this morning who just passed her bar exam, like, what an accomplishment. There's something new awaiting her there. But, but for others of us, it may not be something as exciting as a new career or a new job or maybe even moving to a new city. Maybe this is your first time here because you just moved to this area and, and there's this like nervousness and, and excitement about it. But, but maybe you don't even see what's coming. Maybe you're not sure what's on the horizon, but, but you get the feeling that, that something is around the corner. Or, or maybe worse for us, maybe we know what's coming and, it, and it's not a good thing. Maybe a family member just got a really awful diagnosis. Maybe we just lost someone that was really, really deeply personal and connected in somebody that we loved. Maybe we're not feeling like we should feel, and we know it, and there's just something in us that, that there's a little bit of, of turmoil and, and anxiousness. You see, regardless of what your transitions are, regardless of whatever it is you're stepping into or about to step into, or maybe you just kind of stepped into it, and, and you're here, and, and, and you got that kind of nervous feeling because you're not sure how it's going to play out, regardless of all of that, that, regardless of that transition, whatever it might be, there is a way for us to prepare for it. And that's what we want to do with, our, with this series. We want to talk about how to pack our bags for whatever comes next, whatever might come next. So as, if you can go back to that last slide for me. So as we talk about what's coming next, whatever that next thing is for us, it tends to bring us to a transition point. And, and transitions can be good or they can be bad, whatever it might be for you. But the interesting thing about transition, good or bad, is that it always leads to change. And I don't know about you, some people like change, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people tend to think things like, no, I'm fine right where I am. Don't change a thing. But when transitions come, changes always follow. There's no avoiding it. And when change comes, what follows? Stress and anxiety. Whether it's good or it's bad. Whether it's a new job and a new career or a new school or it's something as awful as losing somebody that you love or, or something, some horrible relationship coming to an end. Whatever that might be, good or bad, the truth is it always leads to stress and anxiety for us. So is there a way for us to prepare? Is there things we need to do to kind of pack in our bag to prepare for this next transition? Maybe even to help us avoid all of the stress and all of the anxiety that comes typically with what the transitions that we're going to face. So as we kind of walk through this idea of, of packing your bags and getting prepared for it, this morning I thought what I'd actually do is pack a bag. So I have this bag here that I prepared with, with things that we typically take when we travel on a trip. When you go on a journey, maybe you're, you know, you 
fly in somewhere, you're at an airport, or you're, you're taking the bus down to Boston, maybe you get to Boston and you're on the T, whatever it might be, there's some kind of transition, there's some kind of trip, some kind of travel, and you pack your bags. What are things that you typically like to take when you pack your bags? Now, the first thing for me is always a set of headphones, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be bothered on my trip, right? So we put our headphones in to not bother us. And some of us, you get like the really big headphones that cover your whole ears. You might as well write, do not disturb on them, because you don't even have to listen to anything, right? You're just there to block everyone else out. It's very clearly, don't bother me. I don't want to know you. I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. <clears throat> Here's the next thing uh, some of us bring with us. These are n- neck pillows. And to be honest, I'm not even sure whose this is, but I'm going to put it on anyway. And I know for some of you, you're like completely grossed out by that. But the truth is, when you need a neck pillow, you need a neck pillow. I mean, if you've ever wore these things on an airplane, they are like really comfortable, right? We put a neck pillow on to, to, to make the trip as comfortable and maybe as easy as it could be. Well, what are other things we tend to take on a trip? Um, you guys ever wear these or see people wear these when they travel? Like this is like the creepiest thing to see when you're traveling with someone. If you wear these, don't wear these. It is just weird. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, really, it's like, could you, could you tune out anyone even more? It's like, I really don't want to know you so much, so I'm going to cover my eyes, and I don't even care what happens to you. We're just, we're just going to block you out entirely. Don't, don't wear those. Um, I'm going to take this off before I fall asleep, because that is really comfortable. Um, what are other things you tend to take on, on, on trips with you? We have, uh, oh, we have toiletries. We have uh, tooth, toothpaste and mouthwash. I don't know what it is about traveling, but there's something about traveling that just makes our, our breath, like, rancid. So we do things to prepare for that. Uh, here's another thing. We take Airborne. And I know you guys are probably thinking, like, is this just like promotional stuff? Is, is this really what's happening? I was like, yeah, they actually paid us $100 to show you guys this. So we're going to leave that right there. <laughs> and now some of you are thinking, did they really do that? I'm, I'm not even going to alleviate that tension for you. You're going to see it all service. Uh, what are other things we tend to take? How, how about this? We take, we take Dramamine with us, right? Motion sickness, or uh, that tends to help. With it. Here are other things we can take for motion sickness. Um, these C-bands. Have you guys seen these? You put these C-bands on, and they're supposed to help with, with morning sickness or motion sickness. Now, um, I'm going to tell you something you may not know, but I've never experienced morning sickness. <laughs> N- never. However, I have experienced motion sickness. And if you've experienced motion sickness, you know how debilitating that can be, don't you? The first time I, I, I remember experiencing it to like some kind of great degree, we were on vacation with my family in Hilton Head, South Carolina, on this beautiful island. That summer, my parents let my best friend come with us. And we were having a great trip. We thought it would be so much fun to take a fishing trip. So we thought, yeah, let's, let's like go take a deep sea fishing trip. So we, we boarded a boat. And there were a lot of other people. This is a big boat. We boarded the boat and we head off off the coast of South Carolina, like a mile out into the ocean. And it is beautiful and it's hot. And when I mean it's hot, I'm not talking like, like Maine hot. This is like, like South hot. It's like, like a, not high 90s into the hundreds, 110s, like, like full sun-exposed heat. There's nothing covering you. There's no wind. There's like no, way, like, like no breeze at all. You're just, you're hot. So we're on this boat, and we start this deep-sea fishing trip, and everyone's having fun. You know, they, they give you the little thing of bait, and my best friend and I, we're putting the bait on, and we're throwing it in the ocean and not, not really getting anything. But you're there for about an hour, and the bait be- begins to smell. And the boat begins to rock with the ocean, and not, you, you know, you just get that, like, that little movement. And after an hour of the movement and the blazing heat, and you're getting a little dehydrated, your stomach begins to, to, to get a little unsettled, and then you smell the bait, and it begins to get even worse, and everyone begins to get a little sick. And, and it's, like, <clears throat> it's like that one person starts it all. You know what I mean? One person starts, and everyone falls. It's like in that movie Goonies, where Chunk tells a story about making everyone throw up in the movie theater. Like one person started, the whole movie theater followed. It was this way on the boat. 
Like one person started with a noise, and I'll spare you from it this morning in fear that it would become an epidemic. Um, one person started with that noise, and it just, it followed. Everyone on the boat is leaning over the side. They're green. We're, we're, we're just yakking stuff up. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was the worst fishing experience I've ever had. I mean, they, they cut the trip short and pulled people back. Everyone by then, no one was fishing. We were all like laying inside in the air conditioning, trying to, to calm ourselves down and, and, and relieve the motion sickness. The interesting thing about motion sickness is once you get it, it's really hard, like really hard to get rid of it. Like you got it and, and you've got it and it's, now you're uncomfortable and it even begins to, to, to spread a little bit and everyone begins to feel that, that little bit of uneasiness. I mean, as I'm talking now, I can see your faces and some of you are even beginning to feel a little, you want some Dramamine? Maybe we'll pass out some Dramamine this week. Some of you are beginning to feel that way. But it, it, that's the interesting thing about motion sickness is that it, it kind of sets us off balance a little bit, doesn't it? And the truth is, and we talk about this with transitions, that when you face transitions like this, that's exactly what they tend to do. These transitions, rather, they start to push us off balance. They start to push us almost like we're being tossed to and fro from the waves a little bit, and we begin to lose our balance. We begin to lose our control. Things begin to feel a little bit like they're not going the way we intended them to go, the way they should go. And that's the very nature of a transition, is that it causes us to be off balance, is that it causes us to be a little bit uncomfortable. And this un uncomfortableness tends to lead to a lot of, of more challenges for us. This uncomfortableness uh, ends up growing into anxiety, into stress, into worry, and sometimes even fear. And, and regardless of what the transition might be for you, regardless of where you might be in, in the midst of a transition, maybe you're starting, maybe you're coming out of, maybe you see one on the horizon and it worries you, maybe you're even excited about it. The truth is, regardless of how good or bad that transition might be for you, it's going to set you a little off balance. It's going to make you just a little bit uncomfortable. I just, there we go. And what can we do to begin to prepare? What kind of things can we do to, to begin to prepare for this transition? You know, when people suffer with motion sickness, what's the advice we tend to give them? You got to focus on something out in front of you. Like, don't look at the waves. Try not to look at the motion. Focus on whatever, like pick a point and focus on it. I mean, that's what they tell gymnasts, right? When they're doing all those series of backflips across a mat, focus on something on the wall so you can count your revolutions so you don't smack into the wall. And you've seen videos of people who don't count the revolutions and smack into the wall. Or, you know, focus on something so you know where you are on the balance beam so you don't flip off the end. You've got to focus on something when you're in the middle of feeling a little bit like, like you're in the middle of that motion sickness. And what else do we have to do besides just focusing on something? It's, it's sometimes we need, we need to hold on to something, don't we? Have you ever been, uh, um, like, played this game? I know I do it when I fly places and you get on the terminal that's taking you from the airport to somewhere else. I'm not a huge germaphobe, but I'm enough of a germaphobe that I don't like to hold on to the rails. You ever been that way? You've been to the T in Boston, and it just, it looks grimy. So you're like, you ever play that game? Am I the only one that plays this game? I know I'm not. <clears throat> I know some of you. You're more germaphobes than me. <clears throat> but you get on the T or you get on the train, and it's like, I'm going to see how long I can do this without touching anything. And you kind of, you know, you, you get your feet a little bit apart, and you try to brace yourself so that when the motion comes, you're prepared and you're not knocked over. But most assuredly, every time, it's like the guy who's driving the train now feels like he's the guy who's driving the boat, and the whole purpose is to kick you off the tube in the back. He drives like a nut, 
and you're on and you're bracing yourselves and no matter how much you try to brace yourself for what's coming, you always are thrown off balance and you've got to, you've got to grab something so you don't look like a fool to everyone else who knows you're playing the game and is waiting to laugh. You, you grab onto the pole or you grab onto the, the, that little like, hand strap above your head, don't you? You've got to hold on to something because the imbalance that's coming is, is strong enough to knock you off. It's strong enough to cause some damage. It's strong enough to hurt you. And when you're in the middle of those transitions, when you're in the middle of feeling that motion sickness because the storms of life are raging, whatever it might be, maybe you're in the middle of an awful divorce, maybe you're in the middle of losing a family member, maybe somebody you know was just given three to six months to live. Whatever that transition might be, not only do you need something to focus on, but you need something to hold on. You need something that's going to be steady, that's going to be sturdy, that's going to be firm. You see, as we think about packing our bags, I think there's one other thing that we need to pack that most of us don't really consider. And I think it's the very thing that has the ability to get us safely through whatever this transition is that we're facing. And it, it's simply this. Everything's all tangled. It's an anchor. Don't forget to pack your anchor. And I was going to you know, like, ham it up a little bit and make pretend this was really heavy. Like, oh, it's so heavy, and then drop it on my foot and see if anyone cared. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to take the gamble because I, I don't know how many of you care. <laughs> we need an anchor. Because isn't that the job of an anchor is, is to keep a boat steady and secure? And, and the interesting thing about an anchor is they use anchors whether the weather's good or the weather's bad. You see, if the weather's good and you want to stay where you're at, they still drop an anchor to keep the boat from being pulled away from that nice perfect spot you find. Or maybe you feel like you find yourself in the middle of the ocean being tossed by the waves and storms are raging and you're not sure if you're going to survive. It's to keep a boat safe, to keep the, the passengers safe. You see, one thing we often forget to pack is an anchor because we need an anchor that we can hold on to. We need an anchor that we can hold on to in times of transition. But the interesting thing is this. The, the, the strength of an anchor is really in its weight. Now, this is like, like a half a pound, maybe eight ounces. It's not going to hold any boat steady. When you think of an anchor, what you really want is a heavy, like, lead anchor that no one can move, that when it drops, it is holding any boat secure. Because what, what really matters is that strength of an anchor. You don't just want an anchor that you can hold on to. What you really want is an anchor that can hold on to us that can hold on to you in your time of transition. Not just one that you can grab, but one that when it gets a hold of you, there's no letting go. You see, I think the thing that we tend to forget the most when we tend to like find these times of transition is to hold on to the very thing that is so strong that when it holds on to you, you're not letting go. It's not letting go. You're safe because there's an anchor that is holding you steadfast. See, we're going to look at what that anchor might be. We're going to look at what I think is a very challenging uh, piece of Scripture. Um, not so much a, a challenge in, in me just kind of teaching it to you, but a challenge in understanding. Because it's, it's a really kind of high thought that, that has this really powerful statement at the end. That if we could kind of grip and, and understand what this statement is and the weight that it carries for us in our transitions, I believe it has the ability to change every transition, to change all those moments of stress and anxiety when we begin to understand the strength of the anchor that might be made available to us. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Hebrews. Hebrews is a, 
a really incredible book. We're not sure who the author is. We believe it's a man. Some people believe it was the Apostle Paul, but no one really knows. What we do know is that the author is writing to this group of Jewish people, and in particular, a group of young people who've kind of stepped out of their childhood faith, right? They, 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 they met Jesus. They believe in Jesus. So they've kind of stepped out of what they used to believe into this, this new thing that Jesus talked about, or maybe they've even added to it. And, and it's, it's a time of transition, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. And there's, there's you know, old family family members around them that, that are angry at them for believing something new. And, and there's this, this difficult transition that these people are in that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, even in the midst of this transition, you can pack your bags with an anchor that is going to be steadfast and firm and secure. And you can find encouragement in this. And he begins in Hebrews 6, 16 by saying this, people swear by someone greater than themselves. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And I find this really interesting for, for two thoughts. Uh, the first one is this, is that we all t- tend to, to want to swear by someone or, or, or to someone that's kind of bigger than us. We all, like it's, to me, it's almost this, this human trait that we all want to believe that there is someone out there that's bigger and greater and stronger than us. That's how we get celebrities, right? That's how we get uh, movie stars and, and mu- musical celebrities. We, we all want to uh, kind of ascribe importance to people that are more powerful than us and wealthier than us and, and have accomplished more than us. There's this thing in us to make celebrities of people because we want to believe that there is someone out there who's bigger and more important and more powerful than we are. And the second kind of idea around this is that we all kind of swear by somebody that we think is kind of bigger or greater than us. When we were in middle school, or when I was in middle school, rather, we would swear by our moms. Like, that was the big thing. I swear by my mom. And you look back and I was like, what were you thinking? Like, does that even make any sense? And why would you do that? Does she even know you're swearing by her? That's so rude. But that's what you did. You sweared by your mom. And all you were trying to do there was communicate, this is really serious. This is really important. I swear by my mom. And then if they wanted to make it even more serious and kind of push it up a notch, who, who would they step up to? There's another, another person they would kind of step up, step up to and, and even swear by this person to make, to make it even worse. Anyone know? Their grandma. Then they would swear by their grandma. And, and, and sometimes they would even swear on the grave of their grandma. And you're thinking, seriously? Does she even know you're doing this? Uh, you're swearing on the resting place of your dead grandma? Dude, what's wrong? And, and as a middle schooler, you get like, man, he is serious. There is nothing more serious than what he's about to say. He truly, truly believes what he's saying. And as an adult, we, we kind of shift a little bit. And, and who do we tend to swear by? And I know what you're thinking. He's not going to say this in church. We tend to swear to God. I swear to God, I mean it. And you're thinking, but you're a pastor. You shouldn't do that. I don't often do it. But what I find interesting is for, for most of us, that's kind of where we tend to go. We want to believe that there's someone out there who's higher and bigger and more powerful than we are that we can kind of swear by. I swear by this most powerful, infinite being, by the creator of the universe, by my heavenly father. People swear by someone greater than themselves. He goes on. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all the argument. He's saying that there's something that's going to be said that's going to put an end to all the argument. And then he, he mentions two words, one of which we're very familiar with, the other one of which we're not all that familiar with, but he's going to address it and then I'm going to try to explain it. He says this, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he had promised. And he confirmed it with an oath. He's essentially saying this, 
if you're tracking with this, that, that God, that we believe there's a God, we believe that God created things, and if you don't believe that, that's okay. If you don't really think there is a God and you're not even sure about all this, it's okay. I think this is still an incredibly important conversation for us to have. But he said, we believe there's a God that created things, and, and this God has made a promise to you, a promise to save you, a promise that you, could be, that you would be his children, that he would kind of adopt you in, and you would call him God. You would call him Heavenly Father. He made a promise to you, and then he made an oath to fulfill that promise. And, and the best way I, I can kind of describe this is to use this as an example. Uh, I have three kids, uh, three little girls. They're seven, five, and two. Now, that's not their names. That'd be kind of really weird if that were their names. Um, they're seven, five, and two, and and the the most anxious-ridden, like, hour of our lives are family photos. Is there anyone else that feels that way? Every guy slips up their hand, and every woman smiles. Everyone's like, oh, I love them so much, but no one's being honest. Everyone loves the product of a family photo. No one loves the family photos. I've talked to photographers. Photographers don't like family photos. It is stress-ridden, like, just, you, it's, you're panic-stricken, because it never goes right. So, so just picture this. You're about to take family photos, and I, I kneel down with my little kids, my, my girls, and I say, now listen, girls, for the next hour, I want you to behave where I'm going to take my foot and put it so far. I'm kidding. <clears throat> you say things like, hey, for the next hour, would you just behave? For 20 minutes, would you give me a smile? If we could all smile for 20 minutes, at the end of this, I promise to do something awesome for you. I promise to do something great. If you would just behave and smile for this next hour of our life. And, and, and now picture it with me. Like it goes, it goes perfect, right? They smile. You get a great, a great picture, a portrait you can hang on your wall, your home. And now the questions start coming. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, you promised. Hey, Dad, you, you made a promise. Dad, Daddy, Dad, Dad. I got my little girl in the back, and you could hear her the whole time. Dad, Dad, it's just they, they want to know, what's he going to do? You, you, you made the promise, Dad, what are we going to do? Are you going to take us on a cruise? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to go to Disney World? Dad, Dad, are you going to take us to Playland, uh, to the playground at, at McDonald's? Like, what are you going to do? And sure enough, after dinner, you sit down and say, hey, girls, you, you did great. You, you, you smiled for 20 minutes. We got a picture. So I'm going to take you guys out for ice cream. And it's like it erupts. Everyone's excited. Yes, ice cream. It's like, like Holyfield won the fight. Everyone's just ecstatic, like, awesome. And we go out for ice cream. You see, I made an oath. And then, or I made a promise, rather, that I would do something for them. And then my oath was, here's how I'm going to do it. We're going to go out for ice cream. It's the same way with this. God said, I made a promise to save you. I made a promise that I would do something so that you could be adopted into my family and call me father. I would be your God. That's the promise. The oath is how he's going to do it. He said, I've chosen to do this by sending my son Jesus to die for you, to take your burden, to take your sin, so that you wouldn't have to. And then he'd come back to life later, forever opening the door for you to be adopted into my family so that I could be your dad and I could be your God. There was a promise to save you, and the oath was the details of how he was going to carry it out. God made a promise, and he made an oath. And then this incredible passage of Scripture that shows so much about this this character of God. I love this part. He says, God did this so that by two unchanging things, those two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
It is impossible for God. I mean, think about the character of God. He can't write a check. He can't cash. If he made a promise, he has to fulfill it. God cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. But so often we kind of feel that way. In the midst of our transitions, especially those bad transitions, when things aren't going right, we get worried, we get anxious, and we kind of think, hey, God, where are you in this? I thought you said you'd do this. I thought you said, like, you promised. And I think oftentimes God's just saying, hold on a little bit, because if I promised, it is impossible for me to break that promise. I cannot and I will not lie. I promised that I would deliver you and I would save you. And that I followed through on that by sending my son. And the interesting thing about this passage here is that this was all written after Jesus came and after he died and after he was resurrected. This is all in the past. The promise was made that God would save them. The oath was fulfilled when Jesus came and he lived and he died. This is all past tense. And you can kind of feel this, this excitement as the author's writing, like, like, hey, he's kind of communicating with his, with his audience. You have to be, remember, there was a promise made from God. And then God said he committed it with an oath by sending his son Jesus. And here's the great part. It's done. He didn't lie. The impossible happened because God cannot lie. And this Jewish audience, they're excited because this message of Jesus is beginning to spread. And and it's like something brand new for them, something completely unique to them and, and something that they've kind of staked their lives on. And they're just kind of blown away when they recall the significance of what God has done, that he made a promise that he committed the oath, and that it is impossible for him to break it once he's done it. The author goes on, he says, Then we who have fled <clears throat> to take hope, <clears throat> take hold of the hope rather set before us, may be greatly encouraged. That we who, who are believing, that we who are in the transitions, that we who, who maybe things are growing great and we're excited about what's coming, or, or things are going really bad, and, and we're just upset and wonder where God is in all of this, that there is something that we could hold on to, this hope that would greatly encourage us. The author is saying, there is something more. There is something more that will sustain you in your time of transition. And then he, he finishes with this incredibly powerful statement that we're going to uh, finish our talk on this morning. He says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And what's the hope? The hope was Jesus. The hope was the fulfillment of God's promise. I promise to deliver you. I promise to save you. And now I've sent my son and he is the hope. He is the hope of the world. And in that hope, it is an anchor that is both firm and secure for your soul. Here's what's interesting. Your soul was made for an anchor. Whether you're on on perfectly calm seas and you're enjoying life and you're starting the new career and you're having the new baby or your kids are moving out and you're just so excited about whatever that next transition is for you. Your soul was fitted for an anchor to hold on to during that time. Or, or maybe, maybe things aren't going well. Maybe you received the bad news. Maybe you're sick. Maybe your dad's sick. Maybe you lost someone that you love dearly. Maybe a relationship that you've cared about for years and years is coming to an end. Maybe your kids are struggling. Your soul was fitted for an anchor that is both firm and secure. That in the times of transition, in the times when anxiety comes, in the times when we're challenged, you can hold on to, and here's the best part, it can hold on to you. 
And it's not a light anchor like this. It's not one that you can just hang up on your wall and it looks good. It is a heavy anchor. It is a rock. It is unmoving and it is unshakable. You were fitted for an anchor. And in our times of transition, we are so quick to move without one. You see, this hope, it is the most powerful anchor for our motion-sickened souls. I mean, that's what hope is. It's like that, that all-powerful emotion that something can change even though we can't see it. That something's going to shift. We, 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 we might even sense it's coming, but you don't see it. Hope has the ability to do the impossible, to see the unseen even before it becomes seen. The question for us then becomes, well, what are you hoping in? Really, what's your hope in? Is your hope in, in this anchor or is your hope in your wealth? Is your hope in the fact that you earn more money? I don't know if you know this, but statistics show the more money people make, the more fearful they become. Is your, your hope in your health? Will your health? Is your health strong enough to sustain you through all that life is going to bring your way? Is your hope in a job? Is it in a career? Is it in your children? Is it in a relationship that could fall apart? Where is your hope? And wherever it is, the next question you have to answer is, is it strong enough to get you through the challenges of life? Is it strong enough that when those storms come, it's going to hold fast and hold on to you, even though you might lose your grip holding on to it? Where is your hope? What are you hoping in? You see, for all of us, we need to pack our bags with an anchor that is strong enough to anchor you. Not something that is so weak and so frail that it could be shaken and rocked and just stripped away from us at any moment. Where's your hope? What's your anchor? We're going to conclude this, this morning service by talking about three things that I believe are deeply personal to me of why I think you should have your hope in Jesus and why your anchor should be your heavenly father. Three things, and the first one is this, it's presence. I believe that God in the middle of your good times, even in the middle of the bad times, that he gives us his presence. You see, when your hope is anchored to God, you are never alone. God made a promise, and what did the Bible say? It is impossible for God to lie. Do you know what his promise was to you? He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never be alone. And in this moment of your life, if you feel like you're completely isolated and all alone and the world's falling apart and everything's about to end, God's saying, I will never leave you. I have sent you my presence and you are never, ever, ever alone. I'm with you. Whatever that transition is, however good or however bad it might seem, you are not alone. My presence is with you. Here's another thing God promises. And this one I, I, I love. It's a hard for us though. Hard for some people maybe. Protection. We don't like that word protection because protect, protection kind of dictates there's something to be protected from. We don't want to think about us needing to be protected from things. Right? I don't want to have to be protected. I just want life to go good. But here, here's the, the amazing thing about God. When your hope is anchored to God, you can trust Him to use this. Whatever it might be. Whatever that transition is that you're going through. You can trust God to use it for your good and for your protection. And the, the, the thing I often think about when it comes to this kind of illustration is the, the NFL draft. 
We broadcast the NFL draft and people will spend hours and hours and hours watching these young men kind of step up to a mic and their lives are completely changed by a team drafting them into the NFL. And my brothers are like fanatics. They watch it every year. They never miss it. It's like a party to sit and watch the NFL draft. But sure enough, every year, there's like the guy who everyone thinks is going to go first. He's like the all-star and everyone gets excited. And he's the guy that shows up in like his flyest suit because this is his time. It's all hyped up. He's excited. But, but some interesting things happen. Almost every year, somebody who they think is going to go first doesn't get picked. And it kind of lingers. And it kind of lingers. And, and, and <clears throat> you know, the, the first pick will come and it's not him. And the, the, the reporters are like, oh, well, it's not so-and-so. They picked him. Hey, let's check in with Mark Schefter and see how they're doing over there. And, and Mark's in the room and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still here. Yep, they, they didn't pick him. He's, he's sitting right here. A few more picks go on. Sure enough, he's not picked again. And they're like, well, it's not so-and-so again. Hey, let's check in with Mark. How are you doing over there? Mark's like, yeah, yeah he's, yeah, he's still not picked. Yep. No, he, he's sitting right here. Then they kind of pan across this small room to the guy who thought he was going to go first. And at this point, he's like crying in the corner. Like, I don't even want to be drafted anymore. I, didn't, I can't believe I didn't go number one. I got all dressed up for nothing. And he's just kind of whining about it. <clears throat> What's interesting to me is when you look at this, like, here's a quick quiz. Who, who gets the first pick in the draft? The worst team, right? The, the NFL basically said, guys, you're so bad, we're going to give you first pick because you need some help. That's the team who gets to pick first. They didn't pick this guy, and this guy's upset about it. And it's like, like don't you think like, the later you kind of go into this round, the better chances you are of getting on a good team? Like, like, this isn't a bad thing. This could be a really good thing for you. But they never see that. All they see is the disappointment. All they see, like you pan across, that camera pans across the room, and they're just upset, and they're kind of sitting with their parents or their little posse, all disappointed they weren't picked first. And, and perhaps the better thing is in store for them. How often do we feel that way in the midst of transition? But God, I thought you, and, and God, you said, and God, I thought you promised. And then we're in the middle of this transition and, and things aren't going the way we like and, and it looks like all this bad is happening and, and we just sit there and we complain to God. God, I thought you would do this. And oftentimes I think God's just saying, just hold on. Something better is in store for you. This is like the worst is over there. I've got the best over here, and, and you're complaining, but this is what I'm trying to get you to. Just, just hold on. Just trust me. Just believe in me just a little bit, and watch where I'm about to take you. You can't see it yet, but where I'm taking you is so much better than where you've been. But our reaction is, is a lot like that, that NFL player who's going to be drafted, right? We sit in the corner, and we sulk, and we get upset. Why do I even get dressed up? I don't, I don't even want to do this anymore. God's saying, no, 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 I, I planned this the whole time, and I'm going to use this for your sake. I'm going to use this for your protection. M- maybe, and oftentimes we, we feel this way in the middle of these times, right? We say things like, like, man, God, did you just forget about me? I'm just over here in the middle of this awful thing. Did you just forget about me? L- let me pose this to you. <clears throat> maybe God didn't forget about you. Maybe the whole time he's been protecting you from something bad, but you couldn't see it coming. Maybe his intentions all along were to get you through that, to get you to a place that was better, that was safe, that was secure. And the whole time there, you're complaining, God, you're not doing this. God, you're not protecting. God, you forgot. See, I don't think God's forgotten. I think the whole time, God's been protecting. But in our narrow sight, we don't see it. See, God offers his presence. God offers his protection. And the last thing, and I think this is fantastic, is God offers a promise. 
And, and for some of us, we get confused on this promise thing, don't we? Like we think, we think God's promised all these other things, and we get angry and say, well, God, I thought you promised me you know, that I, I would be healthy, and I'd be wealthy, and I'd, I'd live forever, and everything was going to work out my way. And, and God, I thought, I thought you promised, like once I, once I follow you, it was like the blessed life, right? Everything, everything was going to work out my way. God said, but I never promised those things. I never promised you that you would all be wealthy, but I did promise to bless you. I never promised that you'd always be healthy, but I did promise to heal. I never promised that, that, that life would all work out your way. As a matter of fact, I think what I said was, trouble will come your way, but take heart because I have overcome the world and I am with you. And if I am with you, who can come against you? You see, it's not that everything's going to work out. Sometimes we kind of hold God to these promises and, and God's saying, but I never promised any of those things. Here, here's the best part about God's promises. When you anchor your soul to God, even though you might feel like this is the end, it is not the end. When you anchor your soul to your heavenly Father, no matter what challenge you might be in, no matter what transition you might be in, I mean, you might literally feel like this is the end. How will life go on without this? How will life go on without this person that I care for so deeply has passed away? How will life go on without this relationship? How can I go on? God's saying it's not the end. And here's the even the more incredible part. Even if your life gives way, God said, it's not the end. Because I've promised life everlasting. And I don't know if you've checked the statistics, but it's 100%. One for one, we're all going to die. Someday we will all die. And that might seem a little depressing. But here's the promise of God. And if his promise is true and he can't break his promise, he said this, if you trust me, I can promise you life everlasting. Even the end for you is not the end. It is just the beginning of something else God wants to do in you and through you and for you. You see, there is no better thing in the world for you to place your trust in for you to be anchored to than your heavenly Father. Because when you anchor your soul to the Lord, He gives you His presence. He will never leave you. He gives you His protection. He will use everything that you deal with, everything that you go through for your good, for your sake. And then He promises that even the end is not the end. It is just the beginning. I'm going to call the band up. We're going to conclude with a song. It's a, a fantastic song. I heard it this morning, and, and they do an awesome job. And I, you're going to hear it, and your tendency might be to just kind of sit and, and admire the, the performance of it. But here's what I want to ask you to do. In, in this moment, as, as they begin to sing, and they're going to sing about an anchor and how we can hold on to Jesus, and even more than how Jesus gets, can hold on to us in, in whatever it is, whatever the storm of life that you're dealing with right now. Here's what, what I, I want to ask you. And this is a challenging question, but it's a question I think all of us need to answer. No matter where we are in our faith, it's a question I think all of us need to answer. What is keeping you from trusting God as your anchor in the middle of what you're in the middle of? What is keeping you from trusting Him? I mean, you may have been at church for the majority of your life. You might be a Christian, but what in this moment is keeping you from placing more or complete or full trust in your Heavenly Father in this moment? Whatever it is you're dealing with, what have you said, no, I think I need to control that a little bit. I think I need to try and deal with that. And God's saying, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to place your trust in me. What is that for you? 
Or maybe this morning, this is your first time here, and you've never, ever, ever trusted in God. You didn't even believe there was a God to trust Him. But this morning, whatever it is you might be dealing with, you'd say, you know what? Today, I want to make a change. Today, God, I, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that I can't weather this storm on my own. And today, I want to trust in you. Today, God, I want to put my trust in you. What is keeping you from trusting in God as your anchor? As we sing this song, I want it to be a moment. I want it to be an opportunity for you to say, God, today, I place my trust in you. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe, God, it's just been a long time. But today, I place my trust in you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that we can stand on that promise, on your rock, on your foundation, God. I thank you, God, that you are unchanging and you cannot break your promise and that you have promised, God, that it is not the end. You have promised us your presence, that you would never leave us or forsake us. And you have promised to always use whatever our life is thrown at us right now, God, for our benefit, for our sake, for our protection. God, I pray for each person here that as we make this decision to transfer our trust, maybe out of a person or out of a thing or out of ourselves, and place that trust in you, God, that in this moment you would become more real than you've ever been. And that we would remember, regardless of the transitions we head into, that you are the rock, you are the anchor, that we hold on to you, and even more than that, Lord, you hold on to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.